Join us on Archetypes, a dynamic podcast hosted by Megan, the Duchess of Sussex, as she digs into the labels that try to hold women back. In each intimate and candid conversation, Megan is joined by guests like Serena Williams, Mariah Carey, Paris Hilton, Issa Rae, and Trevor Noah as they delve into the roots of countless common descriptors of women, like diva, crazy, dumb blonde, and the B word, and redefine and reclaim each identity along the way. The complete season of Archetypes is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the dough, where cash is queen and we hardly know her, but we're still here figuring her out together. Because y'all, season two is here, okay? Hosted every week by me, X Maya. Remember, I'm going to be talking to all types of people about their relationship to money. Reality stars, entrepreneurs, financial experts, and even some of my own friends. Basically, anyone who will get real with me about their dollars. How they make money, how they spend it, and how they save it. Because I'm trying to retire early, people. Season 2 of The Dough is out on March 21st, wherever you get your podcasts. Lemonada. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of In Recovery. I'm your host, Dr. Nzinga Harrison. This week, we're talking to writer and LGBTQ activist Amanda Jette Knox. She is an award-winning writer, public speaker, and author of Love Lives Here, a story of thriving in a transgender family. In 2020, she was criticized by the Canadian trans community for centering herself too much in the activism conversation as a cis ally. While Amanda readily admits that some of the criticism was well-founded, the real problem started when a torrent of hate was launched at her and the attacks became personal. She was attacked on Twitter, and when she left that platform, she was attacked on Facebook. This led to the lowest point in Knox's life. She checked herself into a hospital for suicidal thoughts. We wanted to talk to Amanda today to hear more about what happened after the hospital, but also because this story exemplifies how quickly the internet can become toxic and damaging and quite frankly dangerous. It's a space that can connect us, unite us and rally us, but can also be a speedy way to tear a person down. When negativity is introduced, it doesn't take long for a positive space to become a negative feedback loop that echoes far and wide. And that turns even more complicated when it's your family, your job, your livelihood, and your identity. With all of that in mind, let's get into our conversation with Amanda. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you. One, thank you so much for being so public and so open about your experiences. I think that's the way we reduce stigma and save lives. And so I'm specifically talking about this last year and your experiences bringing you to a place of suicidality to just jump straight into it. Can you talk to us about what this last year brought you and how you navigated it? Ooh, yeah, big questions, big questions. So um, I am, first of all, I should say that I am a 
writer and speaker. And so I do a lot of my stuff on social media as well. So I'm very sort of active on social media. Um, I do a lot of work for the LGBTQ community, which I'm a part of. And my family um, is also uh, a part of. Um, my wife is trans and one of our children is non-binary. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a lesbian. So I have been speaking pretty openly about that. And no surprise, get a lot of hate online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's a sadly, sadly a reality for a lot of people, especially especially women, um, especially anyone within marginalized communities. Um, and so the thing about online is that sometimes there's criticism that comes up. And I expect Mm -hmm. that as somebody who has, you know, written a book and and who, you know, who sort of puts it all out there. Um, And there was some criticism that happened that actually wasn't horrible criticism. Mm -hmm. Um, But what came with that was sort of an opportunity for a lot of people all at once to turn criticism into sort of a snowball effect where it became then a lot of personal attacks, Mm -hmm. um, you know, some threats, some... um, some just really horrible things said about me, my partner, our parenting, mm. our children, our life, um, you know, and it just, it came at a very bad time. Um, you know, mm. I don't think there's ever a good time for that. Uh, but it, this particular storm came at a time when, first of all, we were all going through a pandemic. It was early days. Yeah. This was, you know, May of 2020. Mm. Um on top of that, uh, one of my best friends um, had just lost a child um, a couple weeks before to cancer who was seven years oh. old. And so that had just been devastating, um, you know, and so I was dealing with grief as well. Mm-hmm. And it just all, I, 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 I broke, essentially. And I know that breakdown is not actually a medical term. And I know that mm-hmm. it can be a bit problematic. But in my own personal experience, a breakdown is definitely what I had in that moment. I, I just, everything fell away. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't remember half of it. Um, but I did get to a point where I was basically just pleading with people online. Like my, my breakdown was very public. Um, mm-hmm. And I was saying, look, I'm not in a good place. Um, you know, I can I can talk about some of the issues you may have with me or with my work or whatever it might be. Um, but I, all of these personal attacks are just too much. And I'm not in a place to handle this right now. Mm-hmm. And of course, mm-hmm. people just sort of see that and go, I don't even know this person, but I'm going to jump on even more now because that's what happens. And then it just, it was about a week of just constant attacks, getting hate mail, getting everything. I had gone off Twitter at this point. I had really gotten a lot quieter on other social media platforms. And one Saturday morning, I just, you know, saw the wrong thing at the wrong time. And again, I pleaded for people to just give me some space. It didn't happen. And I... I, I honestly just thought at that point that that's it. I, I can't keep going. Um, and I remember standing in the hallway in in my in my house. And, and this is where it gets really dark. But I think this is important for people to talk about suicidal mm-hmm. ideation. Mm-hmm. Um, I stood in the hallway. And if I went left, I would have gone into the garage. And that's where I was going to kill myself. And if I went straight, I was going to go to the car and I was going to go and to the hospital and get help. Mm -hmm. And I honestly didn't know which one I was going to choose. I, every part of me wanted to go to the garage and, um, I heard my children. Um, I have, uh, we have four children and, um, they were making breakfast 
in the kitchen and I heard them just kind of laughing and having a good day. And I think, I think that's what saved me, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, without even thinking, I just said, I'm going for, I'm going for a drive. And I just grabbed my keys and my purse and I went into the car and I drove myself to the hospital and that is what saved my life. Yeah. Yeah. So you get in the car and you go to the hospital, bring us forward. I went to the hospital and they asked me, um, I mean, it's COVID times and it was very quiet. I think a lot of people were avoiding the ER if they didn't have to be there. Um, and I walked in and they asked me what I was there for. And I said, I'm here for suicidal ideation. I almost took my life today. Mm-hmm. And um, when the doctor eventually asked me, I said, what I need from you is to help me keep myself safe from me. Mm. Right. That's what I needed. I said, I don't feel safe around me right now. Mm. Um, the triage nurse was probably the most impactful person in so many ways there. She was just um, really sensitive to what I was going through and, and really supportive. And um, hats off to all the healthcare workers who have given so much during this pandemic. There's been a, a you know, a huge spike in, in uh, mental health crises and they have, they have been there. Um, I know the burnout rates are high. So thank you. And thank you to that nurse. That was that, that was life changing that day. Um, I was there for several hours I spoke to a wonderful doctor who actually listened to me, and that was really important. And um, that was the first time that somebody had really said to me, um, this sounds a lot like PTSD. This sounds a lot Mm. like um, a complex form of PTSD. So I had the choice at that point. Um, he, he felt I had a really good support system, which I do, thankfully. And he said, we can keep you for a day or two if, if you need that. Um, otherwise, uh, I can refer you to a psychiatrist. We can get you in very quickly and um, and help you get the support you need that way. And mm-hmm. if you feel you need to come back, you just come back. So I decided that that's what I was going to do, that I was, I was going to leave the hospital and get help from the psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. I, I went home to my family. Um, I was in rough shape for a few days, but... I felt safe. Did they know where you had been? I texted my wife when I was there. And uh-huh. uh, and I said, um, so I drove myself to the hospital. And, she's, and she actually said, she said, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. She, she saw it coming. Oh, she saw it coming. It was, it yeah. was really, it was hard on everyone. I mean, that was, I think that was the worst part in some ways was not that it was only, it wasn't just hard on me. It was hard on my wife. It was hard on the kids. Uh, and our kids are older. They're old enough to be, they're, they're teenagers and young adults. They're old enough to be on social media. They saw a lot mm. of what was happening and what was mm. being said. Um, and so I, I sat them down that, I, th- I can't remember when it was. Things are kind of blurry, but I did sit them down at one point in the, over the next couple of days and said, so this is what's going on with me. And they were really good. And everyone just kind of took care of me. Um, that, mm-hmm. that is something that not everyone has. And I, I felt really, really grateful. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. 
Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. And of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out March 27th from Lemonada Media. People love to pretend that there are simple formulas for living your best life now. Eat this and you won't get sick. Manifest it and everything will work out. But there are some things you can choose and some things you can't. And it's okay that life isn't always getting better. I'm Kate Bowler, and on Everything Happens, I speak with kind, smart, funny people about life as it really is. Beautiful, terrible, and everything in between. Let's be human together. Everything Happens is available wherever you get your podcasts. When you say you broke, was the break before you were standing at that crossroads? Was it a moment of breaking? Was it fraying? Because I think some people know exactly what you're talking about. Other people have had experiences and they wonder if this is what you're talking about. So can we try to make it clear for those people who are trying to understand? Um, yeah. So I I think I, I actually broke in the bedroom because I had mm-hmm. woken up and, it, you know, I was actually starting to feel a little better that day. And it was a sunny day and I was going to go out and do some gardening and just try and have an okay day after days of not being okay. Um, and I had gone through a lot of cycles over those days. I had gone through, you know, sadness and anger and fear um, mm-hmm. and this feeling of rejection. Um, mm-hmm. And and what I didn't realize at the time, which is also really important, is it was um, I had a lot of trauma that hadn't been diagnosed and I hadn't worked through. So that sort of really played into what happened to me. Um, and so I... I, I was actually in bed and I checked social media, um, which I try not to do now. I try not to check social media first thing in the morning when I'm in bed um, because it can really set your whole day off. Yeah. And <laughs> whoops. Um, and I saw I was tagged in something on Facebook, which I I it was one of the only platforms I was using at the time. Um, and it was from a very unexpected person who was um, just being really mean about what had mm-hmm. happened. Um, and that is when I, 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 I remember replying and I said something like, you know, please, I'm happy to talk about this with you, but I really can't do this right now. I really can't. And, um, and, and there was this expectation that I know I need to, you know, you need to address this right now. You need to, you know, and it was, in that moment when I realized, you know, or at least I thought at the time, um, this is never going to go away. This is never going to go away. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm never going to, I'm never going to be okay again. Um, I'm just a burden on everyone. I'm mm-hmm. a terrible person and I don't deserve to live. And mm-hmm. that is when everything broke. So I was getting really close for a few days, but it was yeah. just one thing after the next thing. And I take this back to when I was in high school 
And I was bullied really badly in high school. Mm. Um, I was actually set on fire in front of my high school at one point. And what? I was okay. I know. It was it was really bad. And it was a couple of girls just, you know, um, same grade as me, just trying to fit in with the older kids. And they were just trying to find a target. And I had always been a target. We had gone to the same elementary school. And I'd always mm. been a target for them. So they just thought, let's continue it, I guess. And um, they... Um, they actually sprayed hairspray on my back and threw matches at me in what? front of a group of people. The whole thing was orchestrated. They, they It seemed like it had been planned. Um, and I was very traumatized by this. And... Um, and so, but it, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me yeah. when I was younger. And this is yeah. what this was. It wasn't one thing. It was one thing on top of another thing on top of another yep. thing. So yeah, that's that's when I just, like everything changed. I felt like this, there was a sort of, you know, dark, dark thoughts for several days, but then it was like the dark thoughts just took over completely that mm-hmm. morning. Mm-hmm. The light just turned all the lights out. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, I, I just I just couldn't um I, I felt I felt like I couldn't go another step. It was mm-hmm. it was really bad. Mm-hmm. So my wife actually went to have a shower and it was in that moment that I thought this is my opportunity to just mm-hmm. not be here anymore. They don't need me. And I think that's part of the thing is like as a mother and, and a yep. partner, you know, I, I, I was at first thinking I need to be around for my children. I need to be around mm-hmm. for my spouse. I, you know, but when it's like everything shifted and it was like, no, I'm, I'm no good to anyone anymore. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I can't I, I shouldn't be here. I'm just I'm just hurting them. That's what happened. Yep. It's so common, you know, as a psychiatrist, I um, kind of walk this journey with a lot of people over the last couple of decades. And it's very, very consistently described the way you just did, which is like, it actually happens pretty quickly from the pain, getting to the place where it just changes your thoughts from being able to even see the importance that you hold in other people's lives to it would actually be better from everyone if I wasn't here. And that's when it gets really dangerous. Exactly. I felt like I was doing everyone mm-hmm. a favor. I really did. Yep. Um, it's, it's amazing yep. because I would never think that way today, but that's where your thoughts right. go. It, it, was, it was really um, frightening how fast mm-hmm. everything changed. Mm-hmm. Was that the first time you had experienced that in your life or had you experienced kind of this, uh, I don't want to say depth and I don't want to say severity because... I'm thinking of it kind of like a continuum of if I didn't wake up tomorrow, that would be fine to what you said. This is my opportunity to end this pain. Had you ever like been at that place in suicidal thinking before in your life? One time in my life, I was Uh 13 years old. It was shortly after everything happened with those girls at school. Uh Um, I had some, I I was, I was abusing substances. I was cutting. I was Uh in a really bad place. And it was a random phone call that actually saved my life. It's it's an interesting Mm -hmm. story, but I was, um, some, some of my, I had very few friends at school, but one of them had noticed my arms. I was trying hard to cover up my, my cuts and she had noticed and she was very concerned. And she took me aside and said, my boyfriend is, uh, someone who's been through this before. He's, he's been mm. in a lot of pain. Could he call you someday? Dang. I hope that friend is a psychiatrist. That was brilliant. Right. It was, it was so incredible to have somebody say, I don't know what it is you're going through. 
but I have someone in my life who has, and I would love to get the two of you in touch. That was beautiful. Right? So, and in my mind, I was already making plans. So I said, Mm -hmm. sure, of course, no problem. That would be great. And he was just the nicest, softest, greatest person. And Mm -hmm. he said the right things at the right time. And we became really good friends. He he really did save my life. He ended up moving across the country a few months later, which just kind of broke my heart. But um, we got in touch again over Facebook years later. And I said, I just want you to know you really did save my life. So yeah, that was the one other time I've had postpartum depression. I've had bouts of depression and low mood throughout my life, but never anything Mm -hmm. that serious. And I honestly never thought I would get back there again. And it really Mm -hmm. frightened me that I I was back there again last year. Yeah, yeah. So you started this story out by saying, you didn't use these words, but this is how I interpret it. Your emotional resources were already low from covid when this onslaught came on. And so when you came back from the ER and you had your family and the support wrapping around you, what did those first few steps towards recovery from this episode look like for you? And then how do you take the learnings all the way from 13 years old, this new knowledge around complex psychological trauma? How do you take kind of that experience, that knowledge, that support from your family and try to practice prevention? That's a great question. Um, So the first thing was acknowledging that there was something deeper going on. Mm -hmm. I had previously been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. I had been diagnosed with depression a couple of times in my life. Um, But I always knew there was something else. And so Mm -hmm. when we started to talk about trauma in the ER, I, I I really started to read about it and 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 try to understand it. Um, I I did a lot of resting and a lot of reading and a lot of um, just being in the same rooms as people for a little bit mm-hmm. because I I really felt safer if I was with other people. I just needed that connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember my wife Zoe and I watched a lot of TV. I don't remember what we watched, but it didn't matter because we just we were just together. And the kids would kind of crawl into bed with me and watch a movie mm-hmm. or something, and that was really nice. Um, and when I saw the psychiatrist, it didn't take long for her to figure out what was going on and that too was really validating I I can't say enough about the validation that comes with a proper diagnosis Mm -hmm. I I wish this was more readily available for people Um, I recognize my privilege in this that I had a lot of it and that I was able to get the supports that I needed fairly quickly and um, she was just uh, fantastic in in explaining to me what was going on in my body, what was going on in my mind, how those things work together, and how that creates trauma responses. Mm-hmm. And I also had the most amazing gift of somebody reaching out to me on social media who is a trauma therapist and we had just very recently connected just on social just following each other and she said I would love to work with you and help you through this Mm -hmm. so we did um, several weeks of trauma specific therapy Mm. which was hard it was hard 
So tell us about it, because I know listeners are like trauma specific therapy sounds very scary and no thank you. But you're telling us a story about how it was hard, but it led to you being in the place where you are today, which is a better place. So can you just give us a bird's eye view? What was trauma focused therapy like? Like what could people expect? Uh, mostly what we did was talk therapy, but there was also some, um, some sort of, um, there was a lot of like somatic sort of body type stuff involved, right? Trauma gets stored in the body. And this is something Mm -hmm. that I really wish more people understood because I certainly didn't understand it, Mm -hmm. that all of our memories and all those difficult pain, you know, pains and, and, and hurts that come with trauma get stored in us. You know, so words and talk therapy is very helpful for some things. And it was helpful for me in some ways, but it didn't peel back the surface stuff. It didn't help me release the trauma from my body. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it it involved also like um, building in everyday things that I could do outside of therapy to help that. So uh, meditation, uh, Mm -hmm. breathing exercises, Mm -hmm. yoga, exercise Mm -hmm. in general, um, just just a lot of different things that I could build in. Um, Just having a list of things. I have a list next to my computer right now, and it says, when triggered, and there's eight different things that I can do to bring myself back from a trigger. Oh, can you share us these eight things? <laughs> totally. So, um, so I actually got these from um, the, the crappy childhood fairy, as she calls herself. She's a wonderful <laughs> childhood trauma uh, specialist, and she has a YouTube channel and some courses. She's quite quite amazing. And so, these are some of the things that she said to do when triggered. Um, you notice it. You admit it. You admit mm-hmm. this is what's going on. You step away. You can do things like stomp your feet. So I only wrote down things that were actually helpful for me. She has many, many more ideas. You take some breaths, like deep breaths. You have to really get in there and do the deep breaths and the slow releases. You can do things like wash your hands so that reconnects you to your body. You can have a Mm. cold shower or a lukewarm shower to help reset your body. You can get a tight hug from somebody or you can give yourself a tight hug. That actually really helps calm down the system. So there's, I've added to this list over time, but there are so many different things that I have to do. And I actually, like I have, I just have lists everywhere and reminders everywhere of what I need to do to stay grounded. Um, It works most of the time now, as opposed to before when I would get triggered and I could be offline, if you want to call it that, my brain, part of my brain would shut down when I was triggered Mm -hmm. and I could be offline for two or three days and now I'm able to come back right within like minutes or 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 an hour or two and that's huge yeah another thing I wish that I had known about it is that trauma is really about peeling back layers there's you know you you peel back the first layer of trauma that's what happened to me last year and then I thought oh well I feel great this is great. Mm-hmm. I am great. And I was, I was great for a few months and then something happened and mm-hmm. I just was not great again. I was like, what's wrong with me? Why am I having this really bad time right now? And then I realized, oh, there was stuff buried underneath that trauma. There's more trauma. There's more stuff that I have to deal with That's now. Right. Yeah. So it's just like a constant sort of recognizing and moving through and healing from. And I will be doing this, I think, for a while, but I'm perfectly okay with that. Yeah, because 
if you had diabetes, you would be doing that for the rest of your life. Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And each week we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Lemonada listeners, we want to hear from you. You know we love our sponsors for a ton of reasons, but one of the main ones is that they help us keep the lights on. And there's a really easy way that you can help us draw new advertisers and hear ads for things you're most interested in. Filling out our quick anonymous survey at lemonadamedia.com survey. By just answering a few questions, you can help us find new brands to connect with and also share feedback about show content you'd like to see across the network. And to sweeten the deal, once you've completed the survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Visa gift card. I promise the survey is short and sweet and will help us play ads you don't want to skip and also keep bringing you content you love. Just go to lemonadamedia.com slash survey. Thinking about those layers. So those layers started very young for you in childhood, as they do trauma layers for most people start very young in childhood. Did you have coping skills back then? I had some coping skills. I I think it's going to sound like be a weird thing to say, but I think I was fortunate that I was struggling with drinking at the time. I wound up in a um, drug and alcohol rehabilitation center at 14. And I was there for six months. It was a very intensive program. It was a, it was an intensive, you know, again, peel back all the layers kind of situation. Mm -hmm. And they they built me back up. They helped me build myself back up mm-hmm. with some coping skills. But these were 14-year-old coping skills. Right. And then a lot more happened in my life. I, you know, I moved out of my house at 16. I was mm-hmm. on the street for a little while. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I met my partner. We had children. Um, you know, all these different things happened. And um, and then I over time those old coping skills didn't really fit with my current life. Yeah, I think it's so critically important what you just said, which is those were 14-year-old coping skills. And then all the rest of these things happen in life because we're all changing, we're all growing. A lot of us are being cut down, right, in our lives every day. And whatever those experiences we're having in our lives, to use your words from earlier, are getting coded in our bodies, in our physical bodies, in our physiology, in our minds, and our thoughts about ourselves and our thoughts about life meaning. And so this idea about recovery being a lifelong thing, I think is like learning yourself today and knowing what coping skills you can bring forward 
but also when those coping skills need a reboot or something new needs to be added to the toolbox? How do you recognize pre-pandemic to now post-pandemic? How do you recognize that something about my coping toolbox is not effective right now? These are what my triggers are. Like, I need something more. When I start to notice uh, that I am feeling, so it's where I'm feeling the trauma. So I tend to stop and go, Okay, uh, I'm breathing kind of shallow right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm I'm feeling a bit tight in the chest, and my stomach feels a bit off, um, and I I'm just feeling kind of um, really alert and fearful. And so mm-hmm. that is the beginning of what would be a trigger followed by you know uh, a whole spiral of trauma mm-hmm. that could mm-hmm. take me down this long and winding path. And um, so that's when I go, okay, let's try a couple of things. Usually that works. Um, If it doesn't work around the anniversary of the day that I almost took my life, I had a really rough week leading up to that. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's to be expected. I I knew that was coming. I scheduled an extra therapy session. I did all those things, but I still had a particularly bad day. And I talked Mm -hmm. about that on social media because I thought it was really important for people to see that, um, you know, trauma can find you sometimes and, you know, but you, you still have to work your way through it. And, um, so what I, what I do now is if I notice that those things are not working, I go talk to someone right away and I break the cycle because what I used to do is just shut down. I would just like get all curled up kind of in a ball, whether, you know, you're talking, you know, really in a ball or just in my head. And, um, I, I wouldn't tell anyone because there was so much shame that came with that. I would start thinking, you're you're a grown adult. Like, what do you care? You know you're not supposed to care what people think of you. You, you know, you have, your life is so good. What do you have to complain about, right? What, why are you feeling this way? So now I don't do that anymore. Now I go, hey, you're hurting. That little girl inside of you, she's hurting. So you need to go and talk to someone because that's what you would wanted to do when you were a child and you didn't always have somebody there to talk to. So mm. now it is time for you to go break that cycle. So that's what I do. I become either my own parent or my own best friend, depending on how you want to look at it. What would yeah. I tell if my best friend was sitting in front of me right now and you know, telling me all of these things? What would I want for her? What would I want for mm-hmm. her to do? What would I give her? And I do that. So that's that is the difference. I value myself enough today. I have enough self worth that I have been building up over time to be mm-hmm. able to do that, and that is what stops it. Mm-hmm. You validate yourself instead of invalidating yourself. Exactly that. Exactly that. Yeah. Because it is yeah. real. What's happening to me is real, and it hurts. It That's hurts. Right. And I have the right to acknowledge it, and I have the yep. right to heal from it. Yep. Yep. Our childhoods are still with us as adults every day. When we're hurting, if we can validate ourselves and immediately, as soon as possible, reach out for the support we need that can help prevent the spiral. Being in recovery does not mean not having hard days. Because I think a lot of people paint rainbows and unicorns. And like, if you're really in recovery, every day is a great day. And it's like, if you're alive, every day is not a great day. Please keep going. Because I think it is 
sometimes really easy when you're in a dark place to think that there is no hope and that things are never going to get better and that you're always going to feel this way. But there is hope and things can get better and you can feel a lot better. And it might take some time, but you're worth it. You are so worth the time. You have so much value and you have so much to give. You're just hurting right now. So please get the support that you need so that you can feel better. You really deserve it. Thank you. Thank you. So Claire, there was so much goodness in that conversation with Amanda. What really touched you? My honest answer is just like, I just wish that that mental health resources were accessible to everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Because whether that is through community or whether that is through mental health professionals, like those are the things that saved her both times with were, you know, like people reaching out or hearing her family. And then from there being able, you know, after the second time being able to go and see a mental health professional and that Mm -hmm. is, or like having healthcare providers that Mm -hmm. listen and were compassionate. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's not, I mean, that's the part that struck me the most, but I also don't want my takeaway to be like, no, I mean, I think that (laughs) I was, I was thinking the same thing as I was listening to her story. I was like, thank goodness that friend in middle school saw her cuts. Thank goodness she went the extra mile to say, can my boyfriend reach out to you? Thank goodness her boyfriend actually reached out. Thank goodness this time around when she got to the ER that the triage nurse was not dismissive of a complaint of suicidality, which is very common. Thank goodness it sounds like she was in an ER where the ER doc had support from a psychiatrist. Thank goodness they were able to link her to somewhere quickly. Thank goodness she had a support system to come back to, right? Like all of the pieces that we want to be there for everybody, we're there. Yeah, and I think it just goes to show how important it is to have sort of like support systems and those support posts because I think it is really easy to convince ourselves that we're fine. And once we're fine, we don't have to pay attention to these things. And part of the reason why we wanted to have this conversation with her so badly is because this is an example of somebody who experienced trauma early on in her life had some tools to handle that trauma in some way. And then, you know, in a year where a lot of a lot of triggers come up for people's hard pasts <laughs> on top of a, like another traumatic event, like it's really easy to go back to a dark place. And I think people all of a sudden are like, where are my tools? Where are my tools? Where are right. my tools? It's dark. You literally can't find your tools because you're sitting in the pitch dark. Yeah. But like she said, and this is, you know, the first step, quote, recognizing you have a problem, that list that she had on the side of her computer that said uh, her first step was recognize it. Mm -hmm. And you actually said to me, we're talking about something else, but you were like, it's so powerful when you get a name for things. And she said that we were talking about languishing. And you were like, it's so powerful when you get a name for things. And she said the same thing here, like to have somebody 
put a name to the complex psychological trauma she had experienced as a as a child. Like it gives you power. It's like now I can figure out what to do with this. Yep. And so I think that's a huge takeaway that I want people to take away with them from this episode, which is just like we're taught to close our eyes and maybe it'll go away. We need to open our eyes and ask for help yeah. as early as possible, even though the system makes it so hard to ask for help. Yep. Yeah. So I really, I really appreciate her for coming on. Yeah. And we'll, we'll link to her website, which has all of her blog posts. If you want to read more about her story mm-hmm. and as we said at the top of last week's episode, we're coming down to our last couple of episodes. So if you want to write in or ask a question, make sure you call us at 833-453-6662. And we will see you next week. Next week. Talk to you then. In Recovery is a Lemonada Media original. The show is produced by Claire Jones and edited by Ivan Kureff. Jackie Danziger is our supervising producer. Our theme was composed by Dan Malad with additional music by Ivan Kureff. Stephanie Whittles-Wax and Jessica Cordova-Kramer are our executive producers. Rate us, review us, and say nice things. Follow us at Lemonada Media across all social platforms or find me on Twitter at N.A. Harrison, M.D. If you've learned from us, share the show with your others. Let's help destigmatize addiction together. Lemonada. In 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Since then, it's been a barrage of bad news. But behind the bleak headlines, there are people working to protect our right to control our future. The Defenders is a new 10-part series about the fight for freedom in a post-Roe America. Co-hosted by Samantha B. and me, Gloria Riviera, the show will examine ways people are still accessing care, from crossing state borders to self-managed abortion. You'll hear from activists, providers, and everyday people doing the work to expand reproductive freedom. We're here to tell you, anyone can become a Defender. The Defenders is out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Join us on Archetypes, a dynamic podcast hosted by Megan, the Duchess of Sussex, as she digs into the labels that try to hold women back. In each intimate and candid conversation, Megan is joined by guests like Serena Williams, Mariah Carey, Paris Hilton, Issa Rae, and Trevor Noah, as they delve into the roots of countless common descriptors of women like diva, crazy, dumb blonde, and the B-word, and redefine and reclaim each identity along the way. The complete season of Archetypes is out now on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts.